Yeah, I guess thanks, Ben, for letting us do this. One of us would say thanks. Um, but uh, yeah, so obviously Ben's out of town this week, and so he asked us to do this as a team, which is not something we do very often. And if you have questions, he mentioned this kind of back in First Corinthians, his series. He kind of touched on it just a little bit, previewed it a little bit. Um, and before I get too far, there actually are some notes in the back if you didn't get them and you want notes. Um, or if you're watching this in the future, they're on the site. There's a link somewhere. Um, so because Ben's not here, we're going to take a break from Kings this week, and we're going to do something in Matthew. Um, when Ben asked us to uh, lead this week, we kind of tried to figure out what passage to talk about, and we were chewing on this passage in Matthew. And kind of like anything, if you keep reading it in the Bible, like you keep digging deeper and dig finding deeper and deeper things. And so that's kind of awesome, and we're hopeful to share some cool things with you this morning. So um, as background, where we are in Matthew, we're a little over halfway in chapter 16, and he's pretty popular at this point. He has, uh, he's fed the 5,000, he's fed the 4,000, he's walked on water. Jesus is pretty popular at this point. So it's at that point that he then turns to his disciples um, and asks them some questions. And so Let's go ahead and read Matthew uh, 16, 13 to 18. So it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, so yeah, I think whenever you read this, you probably read it, and it's kind of a cool thing Jesus is talking about, building his church, and on the rock he's going to build it on. Um, as we've dug deeper, though, we found that there's a lot of uh, debate about this. What or who is this rock that Jesus is building his church on, right? And so there are a lot of really smart scholars that have talked about this, and so we are probably not going to solve the debate. We're going to give you our opinion here, and we're going to hopefully touch on the three big ones that uh, most people seem to agree on. So it's either, is Peter the rock that he's talking about? Is Jesus himself the rock, or is it this statement of faith that Peter proclaimed up earlier? So um, let's dive in and see. Thank you, Scott. Um, I am going to do one quick aside before we get into the meat of this, that it is election week, and I read something yesterday that I just want to say very quickly, it said, as we watch the donkeys and elephants fight it out this week, don't forget you are a child, a child of the lamb, okay? <clears throat> All right, my next request is I am a mumbler. Ben did not know that when he asked us to do this. So if someone realizes they can't understand me or I'm going too fast, will you just raise your hand and I will slow down. Okay, <clears throat> so in this passage, um, Scott and I are really going to hone in on two words, and that's this rock. And I'm going to introduce, I want to teach a little bit about some of the vocabulary used, and I'm going to introduce, is Peter the rock that this is built on? But before I can do that, we need to take note of how Jesus changes Peter's name 
Um, whenever God changes someone's name in the Bible, your ears should perk up because something's happening. It usually means he's calling this person into action. Like they've lived their earthly life and it's time for them to step into their kingdom life. All right, we see it with Abram becoming Abraham, Sarai becoming Sarah, Saul becoming Paul, and now we have Peter here. So um, does anyone know what Peter's name was before? You can shout it out. Simon, good job. And does anyone know what Peter means? Rock, that's right. So now that we have that established, I'm going to read verse 18 again, and you can see how some people interpret this as Peter is the rock that the church is built on. All right, so verse 18 said, And I tell you, you are Peter, rock, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, So at face value, like if you're just reading this to get through your Bible club reading, you might not, you might take it as Peter is the rock. And I would say our friends, the Catholics, tend to focus on Peter a lot. Um, That's where they put their energy into in this verse. And I'm not going to pick on them because I married a Catholic. So, um, but they will actually point to this place in the Bible and say, this is when Jesus is calling Peter to become the first pope, which if we step over into Protestant world, we think Peter's great, but we don't elevate him that high. The Catholics have given him some keys to heaven. Like if you look at pictures of Peter that were drawn, St. Peter, he's always got keys in his hand. It's fascinating. But um, he's also got powers and privileges and um, that the other apostles didn't have. We, we don't really list, elevate him that highly in the Protestant church. But we do think he's pretty cool. Like he's listed first among the apostles. It's unquestionable that the church began because of Peter. Um, he was pivotal in the growth of the first church. Let's see. Um, I also want to jump into what exactly is Peter saying here? Because if we understand that, we can see how um, kind of amazing his confession is. Okay, so when Jesus asks them, who am I? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, Christ is a word that means anointed one in Greek. And in Hebrew, that was Messiah. So when he says, you are the Messiah, pretty much, he is linking. In the Old Testament, you see the word Messiah applied to the person the Jews were hoping for, you know, wanting to come, their savior. Um, So when Paul, who was raised a Jew, is connecting this man standing in front of him to the Christ that he learned about in Jewish Sunday school. I don't know what that's called. Um, It would be kind of outlandish to everyone standing around him, like, we've been waiting for hundreds of years. We've been said, it's been said to look for this man, he's coming. And now Paul's saying, yeah, you're the guy we've all been waiting for. Also, when he says the son of the living God, Um, I guess in my mind, I kind of think, oh, it's just the son of God. That's not so bad. But in actuality, that is equating Jesus to God. It's establishing him as God. Um, So that would be blasphemy to everyone standing around him to say that this human could be God to a Jewish person. It's what got the the disciples in trouble. It's what got Jesus put on the cross saying he was God. And I think that John says it better than me in chapter 5, verse 18. I hope it can come up here. Good. Um, John says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So um, 
the fact that Paul, I mean, I keep saying Paul, <laughs> poor Peter, <laughs> the fact that Peter could say this out loud um, is just amazing. Um, let's see. Then uh, Ju- Jesus actually tells Peter that he didn't come to this revelation on his own. Um, in verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So Jesus is telling Peter that you didn't come to this conclusion based on your own human reasoning. God showed you who I am. Okay? And just for a little bit, we'll jump back to verse 14 when Jesus is asking his disciples, what, what do men say about me? Or who do they think I am? The answers he gets are like, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're, you're like Jeremiah, you're a great prophet. Um, these are all complimentary, but they miss the mark by a, a huge amount. Um, and honestly, it sounds like today when you speak to people who aren't Christian, you might, they might say, oh yeah, Jesus was a good guy, he was a great teacher. Um, I like that Jesus, but they don't acknowledge his God status, that he is God. Um, So Peter is actually blessed because he confesses this truth out loud that was revealed to him by God. It's not something he figured out on his own. And I put the definition of faith down in your notes. We're just going to read it real quick. It's a firm belief in something for which there may be no tangible proof. So Peter is saying the statement um, out loud that he didn't do two plus two equals Jesus is Lord. God revealed this to him. And he's having the faith that this is true and he's confessing it out loud despite the repercussions that he will get for saying that. Um, Jesus continues, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So we'll get back to our original, is Peter the rock question, now that we know what he was saying. Um, So if you read this rock literally, as referring to Peter, you might think that the church is built on him. There are lots of people who do. You won't be alone. But I disagree with this for a couple of reasons, all right? One, Peter, after Jesus ascends and goes back into heaven, doesn't really act like the church is dependent solely on him. His behavior isn't, um, he's not trying to keep his life saved. He's doing outlandishly dangerous things like walking into Jerusalem and telling people in the temple, hey, your Messiah that you were looking for, he was here. He was Jesus, and you killed him. Like, he gets arrested for saying these things. Um, and he didn't act like if his life ended, the church would fall, fall and crumble. He knew that this was beyond him. Um, another thing is that he speaks it himself. Excuse me. If we jump into First Peter, let's see what he says about his own rockiness. In chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, pay attention, because it's almost like Peter has heard this message before. And he's kind of read, finishing it and then handing it back to the church. So I'm going to read to you. Um, and that church you can think of as us if you want to. It's also the New Testament church in his letter. But he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So a lot of his language just sounds like God called him a rock and told him to build the church. He's turning around and he's saying, you guys are living stones. You guys can build the church and be priests. All right, so it's like he's not holding on to that duty. He's 
gladly giving out to the rest of the church. Um, the last thing is that I, I don't think the church can be built on just a human man. If you look at the history of the church and the explosion of the New Testament church, it went from being this little fringe uh, cult, the Romans thought, they didn't understand it. They, this culture in that time would blame Christians for like tornadoes, earthquakes, because these Christians would not pray to the right gods. They would only pray to this one God. They were persecuted. I think, I think John was the only disciple that wasn't killed for his beliefs. Um, and that kind of explosion, going from a fringe church to 300 years later, Constantinople declared Christianity the official religion of Rome. There's nothing, there's no word that applies to that except for miraculous. And if that was based on a mere human, it wouldn't, I don't think it would have done as well as it did historically. Um, I also, like, don't want to pick on Peter too much because he's one of those guys that I think God has in the Bible so we can see ourselves in him. But if we jump down just five verses from where Jesus calls him a rock and says he's going to build the church on him to verse 23, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling stone to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, in just five short, almost the same conversation, he goes from being the rock to being a stumbling stone. Um, Jesus was a good pun user, I think. But um, what happened in those five verses, just as a background, is Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to go to the cross. This is what I'm about to do. And Peter jumps up. Defend, no, oh, what, what? no, you can't die, Jesus. In his human reasoning, he could not see how Jesus could both die and be victorious, that Jesus' mission was to die. He wanted to stop, defend, protect his Savior. And this is, you see this happening when humans, I think, try to understand Jesus and put him in our little, like, human box, and we, we stop relying on how God shows us Jesus is, and we start trying to rely on how we think Jesus should be. But um, Jesus pretty much corrects him, and again, poor Peter, we know he denies Christ three times um, on Christ's worst day. We know he has a, a, a few discrimination problems against the Gentile Christians in their church. Um, but all that to say, I don't want to pick on him too much because we, we know he was pivotal in the Protestant church. We recognize how important he was to the growth of the church. Um, I, I pick on Peter a lot because I want, I want you guys to see yourselves a little bit in Peter. I see myself in him. Um, Jesus called Peter before Peter was ready. He called him a rock before he necessarily was rocky, right? Um, Peter's not perfect, but Jesus still uses him to launch his church. The Holy Spirit picks up where Peter fails and helps him to be enabled to go and make the church become what it becomes. Um, So, yeah, uh, this isn't the only place you get to see God calling people who don't don't want to be called or who don't feel like they're ready to be called. Um, Moses was one of the most digging his heels in kind of guys, and God still called him into the kingdom and said, no, you're going to, I need you to do this. And so if that's you and you're thinking, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't, you shouldn't use me, God, or don't ask me to do this, please. Uh, we need to change our mindset to seeing how 
the weaker the person is that God uses to accomplish his um, kingdom, the greater he is glorified. In our weakness, he's made strong. So Peter is one of those guys. Um, but I don't think he is the rock that Jesus built his church on necessarily. So I'm going to pass this on to Scott, and he's going to talk about another interpretation. All right. Yeah, I think that's... Uh so pivotal like the living stone stuff that Peter was talking about I mean it's just the part that gets me is that um, you know God calling you before you're ready right that's something I'm bad at and it doesn't say we're not going to reread it again but it doesn't say when you get to like super Christianity you're a living stone it's like whenever you're a Christian you know get to work and so that's something that uh, I think we can definitely take from Peter. So um, so if we don't think Peter is the rock, then I guess uh, the next interpretation was, well, maybe Jesus himself is the rock. And so um, that sounds a lot more likely, right? I mean, he is God, so he could build a church uh, on his own back there. Um, and so uh, I'm going to reread that passage in a little bit, but I'm going to get a little bit nerdy real quick, just... I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did use Google a couple times, and I did find some things. So, um, uh, you know, your Bible is translated from Hebrew and Greek into English, and so Matthew, most of our translations come from the Greek version of that. And so there's a couple words in there that I think are helpful um, that are written in Greek, and so I'm going to read that to you real quick. I'm going to reread 18. I don't think it's actually up here. Sorry. So... That last verse would say, and I tell you, you are Petros, right? That's rock and Peter. And on this Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So like Jenna was mentioning, Jesus is kind of using some puns here, right? And so both of these words mean rock, um, but they're not exactly the same, right? So from what I can tell, Petros is a rock and a stone, and it seems like it's a sturdy type of thing, um, and maybe kind of heavy to lift and all that kind of stuff. But Petra seems to be like a cliff or like a ledge or like a crag. I mean, it's like unmovable, humongous rock. Um, I think I put in your notes that in Matthew 27, 60, it says Jesus' tomb was carved out of Petra, right? Like that's how big this thing was. And so while, yes, they're both rocks, there's obviously a little bit of a, a difference there. And since we're talking about the foundation of the church, um, when I was kind of digging into this more, Jesus talks about foundation and Petra in another place, uh, which is where we'll go to next, which is actually um, Luke 6, 46 to 49. So I'm going to go ahead and read that part real quick. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. That's Petra. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And some, some places actually say founded upon the rock. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So... Um, Clearly, Jesus likes this rock analogy with Petra. Um, and I think there's a couple interesting things just at the beginning of this, like one of which is 
he's actually not trying to convert anybody. He's talking to Christians and followers. He says, why are you calling me Lord, Lord, right? You're saying you follow me. Um, and after that, he also says that floods are going to come, right? And so these floods and tribulations in our life, uh, unfortunately, at least until Jesus comes back, are not optional. And so they're going to happen, and we need a firm foundation. Um, and so if you're like me, most of your life has been built on foundations of other things, right? I think it's pretty easy to do, especially if things are going okay at the time, right? Like money, your spouse, your family, your kids, your health, your job, right? All these things can be foundations that we build our lives around, but uh, they're not going to hold up. Um, and actually, in Matthew's version of the same story, he actually talks about how not building on Jesus is like building your house on sand, right? I mean, you can just imagine the flood is going to totally destroy that. Um, but it's easy to do, like I said. I mean, I think you can easily say, well, no matter what happens to me, I have Jenna. Nothing, you know, anything can happen to me, but I have Jenna. And I think your money, your job, none of that stuff could not be broken, unfortunately. So... Um, to give you an illustration of this, I'm actually going to assume you're a Christian for now, um, just like Jesus did. And if you're a Christian, then, as Ben said a couple weeks ago, Jesus dwells within you, right? He tabernacles within you. Um, your body is a temple. And so uh, you can refer you back to that to see more on that. But um, if Jesus is dwelling within you, within your life, then where is he living? And so I'm going to use this house analogy, and I've actually got like an expert drawing of it. Uh, I'm not an artist, sorry. I actually was going to blame one of my kids for this for like a half second, but right after I got off the computer, Hannah drew like a rainbow and a unicorn, and so that wouldn't hold up. So anyway, all right, so if this is our house, right, um, this is your life, and so you're downstairs or I'm downstairs watching TV on the couch, and I feel like... There's a lot of times where Jesus is up in the guest room, right? Um, he's up in the guest room. Maybe he comes down on Sunday morning. We let him out. We let him into the living room of our life. But most of the time, he's staying up there. He's in you. You are a Christian. He dwells within you. But at the same time, he's not hanging out with you. I also, as you can tell, put a crown on his head. But it's kind of another reminder that he's Lord over your life, right? You don't even have the crown on in your own house. So, sorry. Um, but I think this is one of the reasons I like this example is because obviously it's important for us to get closer to Jesus and invite him downstairs, right? Because um, one of the things that always boggles my mind is like God didn't just create us as robots to worship him, right? Um, he created us to worship him, yes, but he created us to have like a relationship with us, right? Like the God of the universe, as big as that is, wants to hang out with Scott, and that's just it's crazy. So um, besides this awesome picture, right, how do you actually build your life upon Jesus where he is the foundation? Um, the good news is you don't actually have to listen to me because Jesus told us in that same verse. I'm going to go reread the beginning of verse 47. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, and then he goes on to explain the, um, uh, the parable. And so I think this is this is exactly what Jesus wants you to do, right? He wants you to come to him. Um, that's kind of like a, 
there's an active part of that, right? Like God saves you, but then you have to go and submit yourself to Jesus and you actually have to embrace him and come to him. Uh, you have to hear his words, right? Sermons like this, of course, that's the perfect place to do it, but, but more likely you should just read the Bible, right? That's where his words are. That's where he wants, he wants you to read his word and hear his words. And then you have to do them, right? You have to uh, hear the words that he said and then do them. Um, I don't think it's an accident that this passage that I just read was actually um, right after Jesus had done the Sermon on the Mount, and he's gone through all these instructions to all of his disciples and followers, and then he does this part, and he says, hear my words, do them, right? Um, so yeah, so if we can do that, we can make Jesus the foundation of our life, um, and then when you're you know, all those things we talked about earlier we're putting our foundation on, they're still important. They just have that foundation in Jesus, right? Jesus is with you at work. He's in your marriage. He's in your family. Um, and so, yeah. So I think, having said this, I think at least in part, Jesus is the rock that we build the church on, right? Um, amen, exactly. And I think there's one other variant to that, uh, which Jenna will talk about here, um, that is the third part we were talking about. Thank you, Scott. <clears throat> so um, we've kind of literally looked at the words and what we think they might mean. I want to try and, this is a hard concept sometimes to get across, but we're going to step out of the literal into the philosophical <laughs> a little bit here for the third way that um, you can interpret this uh, verse, I think, and I kind of, I think after looking at them, I lean more towards this as what Jesus was meaning when he said, I will build my church on this rock, um, but I think supernaturally, all three could be right in some kind of way, just so you all know. Um, so when we hear Peter's confession, that is, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, um, what's behind those words is just his faith that Jesus is Lord, okay, and it's I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the faith behind this statement is the bedrock of the Protestant church. You see the Catholics kind of focus on Peter, like, oh yeah, we're going to build our church on Peter, the man, the myth. And then we're kind of thinking a little differently where we want to build our church on um, the fact that we understand Jesus is Lord. And that belief is what led Peter to confess who Jesus was when Jesus asked them, who am I? Um, if we can get this part right, the rest of church kind of falls into place. It has to be based on Jesus, on his being both man and God, part of the Trinity who willingly gave up his spot in heaven and came to this lowered position in order to save us, okay? We can walk in these walls and we can debate politics or old earth or young earth. There's some things that we can debate, but this is not one of them. Um, we have to understand that knowing Jesus is Lord is the bedrock of our church. Without that, um, it's just like a Sunday morning social club. And not that I don't like you guys and hanging out with you guys, but the church has a bigger job to do than that. And it's to actually spread that message from these walls into the world that Jesus is Lord. Because that, um, that's what God, Christ created us to do. So that, I think that is the bedrock of Living Hope Church as well, which is one of the reasons why we're eager to plant here. Um, 
Another thing is that this truth hasn't been revealed to us by man. Like it's not from, we didn't all just like read the Bible and say, yeah, let's do this. It's, this is something God given to us that we understand that Jesus is Lord um, is a gift. And what I mean is there are men out and women out there who have read the Bible way more times than I have. They can reference verses and they don't know that Jesus is Lord. Um, a story that comes to mind is one of our favorite pastors is John Piper, and he studied the Bible in Munich at a German Bible college. And he said it didn't take him long to realize he was surrounded by people who knew the Bible, dedicated their life to the Bible, and he was the only one who thought Jesus was Lord. They were reading it as a historical text. He was reading it as a manual for his life and what God wanted him to do. So you can know the Bible, but not know this. Um, Sorry, we've got two sets of notes up here. Um, awesome. So, when Jesus responds to Peter's confession and tells him, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, um, even though he's standing in front of Peter, saying this to the man, and it is applicable, Jesus doesn't live inside time like we do. So at the same time, he is looking down the corridor of time, 2,000 years, and he sees Living Hope Church. He sees the church big C church in the world and what it's doing. Um, and he says, on this rock I will build my church. Oh, and I should point out, he says my church. He doesn't say my father's church. So this is another time where Jesus is saying, hey, yep, I'm God. <clears throat> anyway, um, and he continues and says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a fancy way for saying that the church is not going to die until it's done what he's created it to do. All right, so we will, our church will endure past Living Hope Church when this building is rubble. Um, the church, Big C Church, is still going to be doing what God created it to do. All right, it's going to endure. So our foundation of Living Hope Church and church in general is set 2,000 years ago when Jesus prophesied this to Peter. He's talking to Peter and, and about the New Testament church that's going to start growing there, and he's also talking about us. Um, so now that we have kind of given you a couple ways to interpret this, I'm going to reread it so you have some fresh eyes on it. Um, and I hope like in the future, when you hit this passage again, you'll maybe be thinking, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me that God's talking about, Jesus is talking about. So we're going to read verse 15 through 18 again. Um, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, back to you, Scott. All right. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's what we would, I mean, I, told you we weren't going to solve any debates today, but sorry, we did. I mean, we fixed it for you. So, uh, But I think it's, like Jenna said, it's just so important that that statement of faith is the bedrock, because just going off a degree or two of that, if you start losing that as the, you know, aiming point, then all of a sudden the church starts veering off, and it's, it's not good. I'm going to use this time to shout out to LHC. I'm going to brag about us. I think your elder team has done a wonderful job of this. I think uh, they have truly established that 
um, you know, Jesus as the son of the living God is the bedrock of, of this church. And so I think uh, thanks to the elders and Ben, and thank you for what you do. Um, so now that we've given you, I mean, I think it's good to know all this stuff. Um, it is very important to know a lot of this stuff, but I think there's also some application points that we'd like to give you to uh, take home today. Um, I think the first one is to ask yourself the question that Jesus asked at the very beginning, right? Who do you say Jesus is? Because um, if it's not the Son of the living God, then I'm praying that God will reveal that to you today. Um, I think the other part is you don't have to be ready, right? Peter was not ready. Nowhere close. But you don't have to be ready to be a living stone uh, building up Jesus' church. Um, and the only way to build up the church as a living stone is to have Jesus as the foundation of your life, right? There's no way without this statement and without Jesus, there's no way you would want to ever stick your neck out um, for him. Um, and I think that's about it. I think, uh, you know, this is just, we're very glad and happy that we got to do this opportunity and I hopefully you guys got something out of it. But um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and if y'all want to stand up, and maybe the worship team can come on up here, and we'll pray uh, about some of this stuff, and then we'll worship Jesus like he's the son of the living God. All right. Father God, thank you so much for this revelation of who Jesus is, uh, that he is so much more than a man, that he is the son of you, son of the living God. And I ask that if there's anyone in this room who has not had that revelation, Lord, that you would just, all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt, just reveal that to them. Open their hearts uh, to hear that and to just truly see that beyond intelligent words, but to feel Jesus as the Son of the living God. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, use us as living stones, Lord. Help us embrace that embrace that we are to be used by you to do good works for you. Um, we ask that uh, if there's anything in our lives that are blocking our view of Jesus, whether it's our job or uh, money, whether it's family, marriage, whatever is keeping us from seeing you more clearly, Lord, that you would help us put that in its right place, that you would open our eyes to how wonderful you are, so that we could see you more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.